0: hey joe hello robert how are you you know i am fantastic uh how are you doing Aww. i'm doing well are you golfed out oh there's no such thing <laughs> there's never... no such thing as no golfed there's out. no such thing as golfed out you should actually try
1: golfing i think you would no, like it there is there is little chance of that unless there's scotch involved they let you there's, drink there's they- I, well, I, I mean, before oh. <laughs> Bef- be- before we start, oh, just, you could you could do before, during, and
0: after. That's one of the wondrous things about the game of golf. You just haven't been right. able to go all in with it.
1: Well, here's the thing. Then I uh, what I would do is I would just have a nice walk in the park as I drink, and then just watch everybody swing a stick at a ball.
0: Next time, you just ride in the cart with me. There you go. I will go. show That's you how wonderful it is to golf. Maybe, maybe you could yes. just hit a ball. Maybe you could putt. You could putt. You could putt and hold on <laughs> maybe to you a, could <laughs> a, a glass of scotch. At the That's exact what I time.
1: want. I want a T-shirt that says hashtag maybe I'll putt. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: should we? Uh... No, no. You know what we should talk about? is Why what? do why does everyone think we're not going to continue to do the podcast?
1: That's what I want to talk you know, about. I, you, know, we, we all, you know, I, I think it's because they're nervous. I mean, cuz we left them before. You know, they're, we left them well, high they're, and dry. Well, no, I think it's I think it's I think they're nervous because, you know, they think you're you're going to go, you know, you're going to go all like a billionaire boys club and say, eh, I'm tired of this small thing and and fade off into the sunsets. Yeah, I have to work for a living. Right? Work work work. But you work, could work, work, Yeah, work Scotchy, work, work, Scotchy, work, Scotchy, work. Scotch, 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 scotch. <laughs> but you, on the other hand, could say, "Meh, tomorrow I'm going to do something else." So but we're not gonna stop doing it. I'm if if nothing else, I'll show up on your porch every two weeks and make you take it. In Cleveland? Yeah, I'd like to see that. Yeah. That's right. That's how much that's the love. That's the dedication I have for this. Well, to prove them all wrong,
0: why don't we get this thing started?
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's roll.
0: And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys.
1: Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 214 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Thursday, August 7th, 2019. And with me as well, my co-host, my colleague, and the guy whose text messages are way more scandalous than any bachelor in paradise, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend?
0: I, it, I am doing just fine, and I have no idea what that is in reference
1: to. You know, Did here's I the thing. I, I, I know what it is reference to, but I didn't see, nor am I keeping up with the scandal that is the guy's text messages. Yes, apparently. Now, I don't keep up with this, so, you know, somebody on social media will correct me here if I go wrong. But the way I understand it is is that this Bachelor in Paradise show is quite popular, and the Bachelor in question is kind of a D-bag, if, if that's the correct technical term, and got kicked off, and then there's some controversy about why or how he got kicked off, and so he released a bunch of text messages that are throwing everybody for a tizzy uh, oh. in the you know in the audience here and it's it's quite the scandal apparently this is a television show this is a television show this is exactly right oh yeah. see this i wouldn't exactly know right. this
0: i i mean i don't yeah. i don't really watch unless it's a cleveland sporting event i don't really get to it, it unless you tell me to watch something if you tell me to watch something and say it's important because we're going to talk well, about it on the podcast well you know i mean well here's I'll the thing
1: any it. cleveland sporting event is going to be relatively you know Low bar, Ooh. so you know, <laughs> see what I did hey, there. It's like it's not even starting. I yet heard he that, that
0: Zeke is, might not even sign, Is he might not, holding out. he might
1: go all Levy on Bell on us. Yeah, he might. Uh, it, it, uh, it, um, yeah, what are they gonna do? They're gonna look look bring back Tony Romo the to,
0: to run the ball. They they need him.
1: To, <laughs> you're gonna be in trouble,
0: just give him. I, what we he are wants. gonna be in
1: trouble, yeah, yeah. They don't want to be market setters, you know, and that's the. When did that? I, well, I understand when was that, that position. A
0: Dallas Cowboys thing? Of course, have yeah. always been market <laughs> setters.
1: Actually, they haven't, but but the the I know that's the perception out there, but they haven't they haven't overpaid for talent in about ten years, um, and it's been a formula that's been working for them. And and by the way, they have a lot of talent that they've got to start paying here in the next yeah. couple of years. So it's you know more money for him mm. means less money for somebody else, and. There's a lot of people that we want to keep. Well, around. to
0: overpay for talent, you actually have to have talent.
1: So there uh, it is, right? <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Hey, there I, we go. I
0: actually should not get cocky at all because everyone's so excited about the Browns this year, and I think that we just need to hold our expectations. Because you never know what could happen. Because I remember,
1: welcome to Believe Land. I remember in welcome to Believe Land. Yeah,
0: I think in 1987 the Cleveland Indians were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It was Joe Carter and Corey Snyder, and they said, "Gonna go to the World Series this year." And they finished dead last that year. So let's let's just remember <laughs> what happened. Right.
1: Yes. Um, all right, should we get to the top of yeah, our show
0: here? That would be uh, that would be probably a prudent thing to do since
1: uh, this it is It would be people before tell me all of the Europeans sort podcast. of go skipping forward. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to start with our traditional top of the show story, which of course is just one story from the news that really gets to the theme of the show and kind of tee up everything else we're going to talk about. And we're going to start with a news item that basically came out, uh, it came out this week <clears throat> and it's... This interesting story, uh, it's from USA Today, um, although it's probably something that's happening globally here. And the headline of the article is The Death of Journalism. Uh, Here's how many newspapers have shut down in the last 15 years. And the article opens up by saying, The newspaper industry has continued its relentless downward spiral, which started with the advent of the Internet and accelerated during the Great Recession. The pace of the decline has not slowed. New research shows that over 2,000 newspapers have closed since 2004, a staggering figure given that the industry was once among the largest employers in America. And the article goes on to talk about a number of the local city and uh, local newspapers that have just sort of died on the vine because of all of this disruption, so... Now, I know this is a topic near and dear to your heart. What do you, what, what do you think here? I, I know you've got a take on this.
0: Well, the first thing is, and they talk about New York Times in the article on how they've been able to buck the trend and they've done really well. They actually just came out with earnings, which uh, weren't uh, didn't do very well in Wall Street's eyes, but I looked at the numbers. So here we go. Here's the truth about the New York Times. They, they actually have a goal, <laughs> which I love. They have a goal of $10 million subscribers by 2025 this is the new york times they have four four point seven million subscribers today so they've got a goal they they added two hundred thousand in the last quarter uh they also just launched a news program on on hulu and fx i believe um now granted they have 1200 in their editorial department uh they're able to create amazing content they have this uh, i think we talked about it last week i think that was my rave last week was they have over 100 e-newsletters now, very targeted, uh, niche media. And I think that's where the opportunity is, is first of all, the business model can work, but it's just changed from, I think, you're you're having somebody pay for a print subscription to, will they pay for small digital versions uh, covering topics that your core audience wants to pay for? Absolutely. We've seen that happen with, um, you, do you follow The Athletic? I yeah. do. So they have. Yep.
1: It's a great. It's a great. Yeah. So
0: they have five hundred thousand paid. Uh, they'll have a million paid probably by next year. I mean, that's so. So that's five hundred thousand paid, and I think it's four bucks a month or something like that that you can pay, and, and you, they have different tiers. They're doing very well with their model. Uh, so the question is, you've got New York Times that are doing very well with their model. That's a traditional, you know, newspaper model. But then you have twenty one hundred. Obviously, they just shut down. Why aren't those models working? And I think the article gets to it, and I wanted to get your take on it. It seems like the first thing they did when times were tough is they killed their editorial department. So they killed their product. Right. Uh, and That's And that right. is not <laughs> going to work. They should have doubled down and just look for, okay, well, we've got a great editorial product. How do we monetize that in different ways instead of just the same old, will you pay for a subscription, which doesn't work as well as it used to? I don't know what your take is on that.
1: I, You know, I think that there are two things, right? One is that we haven't seen the pivot go as fast. You know, with the national newspapers, um, even, you know, arguably global newspapers, when you talk about the New York Times or the Washington Post, we see – that pivot might be, I mean, it's harder in the sense that it's a big, this is something we see in marketing as well, as we look at the pivot that's happened in bigger companies versus smaller companies, that you know, both companies look at each other like they have it easy, right? Smaller companies tend to look at bigger companies and go, oh, they've got the budget, they've got the ability to change, they can pivot their business model, they can do all those things because they have resources. And the bigger companies look at the smaller companies and go, "You don't have nearly as much to unwind. You could totally pivot yep. much faster, et cetera, et cetera." And so, and both are right. You know, both are wrong, and both are right at the same time. And what we've, I think, what we've seen in this particular case is the fact that the bigger papers have had more pressure to pivot faster, and so you see companies like the Post and the Times, and you know. Financial Times in the U.K. and The Guardian and, 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 and big branded newspapers pivoting to the subscription-based model, the native advertising-based model, the custom content model, and doing a yeah, fairly good job. I mean, arguably speaking into your point about the Times' financial results, I think we haven't seen that in local papers because of the same kinds of reasons we haven't seen it in marketing because they're just they're, they're lagging behind. And I think, you know, so it's harder for local papers to go, well, how am I going to go out and tell my local advertisers about native programs? Or, you know, how am I going to tell them about subscription-based programs when, quite frankly, they can get a lot of local news um, through the Internet, you know? And so it's, it's a little more difficult. What I'm surprised that I haven't seen are brands stepping exactly. up Exactly, exactly. I have not seen any brands stepping up here to take over um, local news and the ability for that you know both by the way both small and large right it doesn't mean like a big global brand has to take over all local news for localities across the u.s but i haven't seen any small or like locally focused businesses step up and become and people forget this is what's an interesting fact one of the things that we used to talk about so often on the 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 show you know years ago was The examples of this old marketing, when we talked about the idea of newspapers and magazines being done by brands in the 1800s and early 1900s, people forget that it used to be companies that, you know, the printing companies and the local businesses that used to print the news, quite frankly. They used to call them house organs, where the local news, either in your company town or your local idea, was actually printed, sponsored, and produced by the big business that ran that town. Car companies did it. All sorts of companies did it. And it's, uh, I, I think it's a model that would work today. And it's surprising to me that we haven't seen any brands step up into That's it. what
0: has to happen. And I think that's what will happen. It's just the perception. Not, the Perception's not the right word. I think you have chief marketing officers in companies that don't think about this as a huge opportunity which it is. Yeah. And yeah. what the the article talks about more than half of the counties in the United States now do not have a local news source, newspaper. They lost right. them. So if you are the largest company in Podunk County, why can't why can't you be the one that's going to bring the news locally? And I think that most people have gotten over the fact that oh no, church and state it's not a real news source. People are beyond that. With the with the rise in fake news, people just want good good real information.
1: Well that's and it. I, I mean it that's matters, I mean look, I'm right. I mean you can either look at the bar is so low that the risk is really low or you can look at the like just you said where people aren't paying attention. And so if if we're a brand and we want to create something you know and be the trusted source of interesting things, there is no reason that we couldn't either launch a small little LLC or a division of our company or all these wonderful things to help us deliver locally focused news to our local community county city town you know community mm-hmm. whatever it happens to well, be and uh yeah i just i think it's a huge opportunity for it for a new market for a brand and and a great you know content well, marketing well
0: i'll talk a little bit about this later but let's just say i'll take kioga county i'll take cleveland um is plane dealer That's been the newspaper, the only newspaper covering Cleveland News for over fifty years now. They they're like most papers of that size, they're not doing well. They're still I think they print four times a week now. They got rid of a lot of their home delivery. Uh, so it's they're they're I wouldn't say they're struggling, but they're not growing. Now if you had a company, let's say a Cleveland based company like a Progressive Insurance who spends millions and millions of dollars a year on sponsorship on advertising they you know progressive field is sponsored uh, that's where the indians play they sponsor that so they're spending tons of money if they went out and said they wanted to purchase a plane dealer first of all it's a drop in the bucket for what they're oh my spent. god it's a it's, drop yeah, it's crazy. in the bucket yeah what kind of a, an amazing community service would that be for them to come in and do that second of all it's less risky for, to, then to launch your own startup. If you just think about the failure rate of startups versus actually buying something that's already in place and then going in and fixing it up, let's say, or altering it in some way, there's a huge opportunity there. I wish you'd have more companies look at it. We're probably five to seven years away from starting to see that. So so the first... what's. The, the, the first step has been all these billionaires that are coming in, like Jeff Bezos right. and That's John right. Henry with Boston's newspaper. So they've done that. We've seen that. Now I think the next wave will be these brands coming in. And I don't know. I think it's just it's just CMOs waking up. It's the same thing with content marketing. We've talked about it for years. Why do, why do some uh, big brands not take the practice of content marketing seriously? Because they don't think about it. They grew up in advertising. Right. They grew up with the four Ps. They don't even think it's a thing. So, yeah,
1: anyways, well, there you well, go. But before, the you go on, before you go on to the, the next topic. Yeah,
0: sure. I'm going to put usatoday.com above forbes.com as the worst website I have ever seen.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really what bad. What is this? It's is definitely the, bad. What are
0: all these ads flying at me? Oh,
1: and Forbes, my God. And, and then, right. And then you got to scroll down over the big giant thing in the background. It's like, oh. Don't it's like I'm trying to scale a billboard. I, d- That's I don't right. Know, I mean, right. I think
0: I'm going to lose my footing and fall and die. Okay, That's, That's right. <laughs>
1: Remember we said it's a low bar, folks, and this is part of that low bar. <laughs> right. You, It would not be hard to develop a better experience for news. That is for absolute sure. Okay, let's move on to our in-depth section, our second segment of the show. And, of course, this is where we pick a few things that have our attention uh, in the world of marketing and advertising. And I'll go first. I have an article – Um, That kind of feeds right into what we've just been talking about, especially your mention of the CMOs and the 4Ps and all of that. And this comes to us courtesy of Ad Age. Um, And the headline here um, from a story uh, posted about a week and a half ago is uh, Procter & Gamble's best sales in a decade come despite a drop in ad spending. And so that's a headline that's going to get your attention for sure. And the article opens up by saying Procter & Gamble on Tuesday delivered the best quarterly and fiscal year sales growth it's had in a decade, all while decreasing ad spending in absolute terms and as a share of sales. That doesn't support dire rumblings from agency executives that P&G's relentless cost-cutting efforts of recent years would come back to bite the company. But there may be still some silver lining for the broader industry. The world's biggest ad spender, that's P&G, did increase marketing spend mainly on media faster than it cut spending on creative fees and company overhead last quarter. And so the article goes on to sort of talk about the sales growth and the prices and what they've been able to do and all of that and sort of managing the business, it seems sort of more holistically a little better. one of the things that they talk about is is they 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 talk about uh, the 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 awards and more creativity that they've been bringing to some of their product campaigns. So my take on this and then I would love to get sure. your take on this Joe is, is 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 you know when I look at this, I think one of the things that got lost in this article and it just seems like ad age has like just something in its craw about ever mentioning content at all um, but it's it, We've talked about this about how P and G has been shifting much more of its effort toward creating experiences and and content driven toward a younger more a a more disloyal audience a more fragmented audience and instead of sort of focusing on banner ads which we talked about at great length during one episode i remember they've been focusing on developing these content experiences and putting their money there and i didn't see that represented in this article but i think it's something that is something that should have been mentioned that isn't because they do touch on it by saying hey listen listen we add this, uh, you know, all of these awards that we're winning at Cannes, um, the creative partnerships that they're doing with John Legend and Ariana Huffington and Katie Couric and others. Those are all content plays that they've that they've been um, that they've been creating there, not just creating more 30 second spots or banner ads. That, to me, is the interesting shift in spend and while I can't certainly empirically say that that's the reason for their growth, I think that they not mentioning it is 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 something that's, you know, it's, it's conspicuously absent, I'll say. And so it's, that's my take on it is what I, what I believe, I don't know empirically, again, need to do more research here, but I believe what we're seeing is as they shift away from the classic data scraping banner ad making 30 second spot persuasive buy now coupon focused thing into more rich experiences in media and content, that's where they're seeing that investment pay off.
0: You know, it's interesting. Uh, a great take. It's almost like P and G is going back to their roots. And yeah, of course, it's a, of course, yeah, it's it's amazing that people <clears throat> don't realize that Procter and Gamble, one of the innovators behind the soap opera, uh, of course, does and Oxidol, What was it? Does soap Oxidol, uh, Maybe a couple yep. other ones that they did. And that you know, they started on the radio. Then the the soap opera as we know it. Uh, came from backing from Procter and Gamble Studios. They, I mean, they That's put right. it together and and did it, and very uh, uh, various uh, different versions from that point on. But then they got, you know, you got into the seventies, let's say, and everybody fell in love with just the whole ad play and, t- and basically on big television. And you know what? It worked really well because it was the only game in town. And now of we're coming back to. Well, maybe we should build relationships through delivering these great content experiences and the thing that they don't talk about it in this article but you and i've talked about this many times we've talked about it in articles that we put together in presentations but i still see their advertising that they're doing with homemade simple if you don't know what they've so homemade simple they started years ago as kind of a you know a content marketing initiative issue, if you will a content brand where they would give out you know here's the you know best ways to keep certain things clean or recipes or whatnot Uh, And they've evolved that. So I don't know if you've seen the the way they now have it as its own product category. So Homemade Simple, which sort of became this credible uh, brand that's giving amazing advice about how you can keep your house clean and do things more efficiently and save money. Well, now they put it on their product. So it's actually a product and then if you watch some of their advertising that's out there, uh, they'll say, okay, you got to use uh, this to keep your clothes clean and then a research project from Homemade Simple. And I'm like, oh my God, they're calling out their own research, which some people might think is not right to do, but they're not. this is not third-party research. It's their own research that they're bringing in from their own content brand that I don't even know if people get that portion. And so they're playing it all together. So even in their advertising, they're leveraging their content brand. I just think it's fascinating. And, you know, we yeah. don't have any proof points, as you said, whether or not what's what's the, the reason why they've had this gain. But I think we can see this direction and more and more is, oh, we're going for these amazing content experiences. We're going to uh, build these audiences uh, and build subscribers just like a media company does, but we're not going to generate money the way a media company does.
1: That's right. That's right. And by the way, the homemade simple is a TV show, it's an online yep, they thing. Yep. They've got books, they've got all kinds of content. And by the way, folks, they have products too. They've they, they are selling like soaps and, and all sorts of things. They've turned the content brand into a product brand. I mean, come
0: on, come on. And <laughs> and you know another great example on that? Buzzfeed. Huh? Yeah, uh, exactly. What's exactly right? Generated 130 million dollars last year from selling household appliances. Yeah. The, the, I don't think people realize what's going on. I mean, this is the I don't know, so we uh, somebody talked about it in a book. I can't remember, but that the, the media what? marketing model. <laughs> It's hmm. it's it's the same for media companies. It's the same for product brands. It just depends on how you decide to monetize it. And what's That's great right. about what Procter and Gamble is doing, they're basically taking all, almost all ten of the different options to generate revenue, and they're leveraging all of them from their content brand and. And I wish Ad Age would would say so.
1: Uh it just you know you're back. You
0: know the person them, that wrote yeah. this, and I don't know it's a fine article. I don't know yeah. the person that wrote it, but they're they're like. Angry, Urgh. I yeah. we this this we're called ad age, so it has to be.
1: Well, ad. it's I mean you talk about look. I mean this is, it gets gets to our whole thing about pivots, right? You know what I mean? It's like ad age is one of those publications where it's just like they, you know. Ah, yeah, I'll get off on a rant, and I don't want to throw ad age under the bus here, but it's it's you just want them to sort of start not thinking about the classic. Sort of campaign—they just can't get out of those old terms, campaign tactics, front lines, Ooh. rear lines. You know the sort of you know classic marketing war metaphors that you know are just so dated anymore. And it's just you know, I mean, I was reading. I'm I still am a subscriber to the print version of. It's funny, we're tacking all of the publications <laughs> this episode, you know. But I still do. I still do read the print version of Ad Age. Which is about three pages, by the way, these days, um, and you know, it's and, and two of them are full-page ads, um, and one of them, the other one, would be a sponsored content piece, um, you know. But they're still just like, you know, it's this classic Madison Avenue campaign idea, and it's just it's it's bothersome that they won't evolve. All right, wait, wait, enough wait. of that. I have, I have a question for you. Okay, pre- yeah. I want you to predict
0: when Ad Age changes the name to something else
1: oh never it'll go out of business before they change the name no it will not yeah absolutely it will it wouldn't be absolutely like, it will no ad age absolutely it will absolutely oh, it will yeah H? I mean if they if they change the name they would reboot the entire they would do like a Star Trek reboot where they just new timeline new characters new mm. you know the whole thing um and they would they would just reboot the whole thing as something brand new they it, no i don't think they'll change the name
0: by the way we know a they, lot of people at cranes and ad age they're fine fine people nothing oh, against lo- nothing
1: wonderful against it. i do yeah it's nothing against that it's just it's like why I, I want them to evolve they're probably going yes please can we evolve you how know, about so, the absence yeah. of ad age Yeah, i'm just thinking about new names can we come up with them
0: <laughs> maybe you should just go buy them with all your riches No, somebody, some other brand should do that. Maybe Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble should just buy it and rename it.
1: Yeah, or some big agency. Home Ad Simple. Or, I don't know. (laughs) Okay, I'm done. (laughs) Speaking of print, you have an article that you're talking about, which is this, I know something near and dear to your heart here, which is the idea of investing Uh, in magazines and this article comes to us courtesy of Folio Um, and the article opens up uh, with the headline of why are brand marketers investing in magazines while print isn't always the answer retailers and consumer brands are finding new value In an old medium, this article from this week opens up by saying for retailers and companies looking to build deeper connections with consumers or cast a wider net for audience engagement, launching a print magazine is a burgeoning trend. Wow, what a shock. Um, (laughs) Online vacation rental Airbnb luggage retailer. Uh, Away dating app Bumble and golf uh, equipment and apparel brand Callaway have all recently embarked on this journey with the launch of print titles tied to their respective industries. Um, Joe Polizzi, who is quoted here and I won't spoil the quote for you because I'll let him quote in person, um, basically is quoted in this article and the article goes on to talk about the value of print. And so dare I say that you're going to agree with most of the points (laughs) made in this article.
0: Well, I am, of course I've made a lot of them,
1: but the, Yes,
0: I don't know what happened. I've I've become sort of like pro print guy because I got the printers. Right. I got the printers calling me now, saying, "Oh, we loved your article," and because there's not many people that are pro print, and I'm b- probably one of the biggest cheerleaders for print right now. And I talk about this in the article. First of all, article has uh, our friends at REI have basically uh, morphed their old catalog into a magazine that is beautiful they've just done this and it's been an evolution over years but you should check it out when you can and what they so the case study is in there but the the one big case besides the the idea that if you're reading something in print, it's a lean back experience versus a lean forward. We've talked about this before. You, it, print is a great uh, vehicle to, to get people to ask questions, to think differently versus I want the news and I want my answer. Like you you go to Google and you want your answer right now. Well, if you're reading print, it's a different experience. And the article talks, brings up some research where we read it a little bit slower rate, we retain it more. It's a different kind of content experience. But if you just look the metrics of it, there's just less printed material, specifically print magazines, valuable content experiences in the printed form that are available today. And we've talked about this before. There's, As far as I could tell, the post office is still delivering things. So, <laughs> you and there's this channel <laughs> well, available. It depends on the day, but yeah, well, I, I, the I, day, I, but that's the thing. I mean, theoretically, it, yeah, it, they're still <laughs> delivering it, and it's there. It's almost like uh, if if nobody was on the radio right now and people were checking the stations, but boy, I'd go to this station. There's not playing anything. I'm going to this station. They're not playing anything. I'd say, oh my gosh, people are checking the radio, but there's no programming. Let's create some programming for these people. It's the yeah. same type of thing. It's not rocket science. I just think there's an opportunity there, and. I love this idea of every, and maybe it's maybe it's kind of the new thing. I, I've seen a lot of people talk about email and print coming back in vogue. I think it is coming back in vogue, especially where social media is just taking your data, playing with it, and taking your followers and not even showing the stuff that you post to your followers anymore. Uh, we've lost a lot of control from that standpoint, at least with print. We can say things, we can design things in a certain way to affect people's emotions uh, the the, the way that we're trying to. We're trying to change their behavior and persuade them, and print is a unique way to do that. I don't think it's the only way, but I think there's an opportunity. And if you look at, the last thing I wanted to say and get your take, Robert, if you look at a company like REI, they're really focusing on people that love the outdoors. And so they've created, an amazing online destination for that. They've created some amazing podcasts around that. And if you want to be, let's say, the leading media company or the leading expert in your industry, like we've done traditionally, we look at, okay, what are the legs of the stool that's going to get us there? Is it uh, the number one online destination? Is it the number one event uh, platform? Is it the number one audio platform? Well, I still think print is one of the legs of those that stool, and REI sees that, and they're saying, okay, well, if we want to be the leading expert, I think we should look at that channel as well. And, and you've got smart companies doing that right now.
1: Yep, absolutely. I mean, you know, look, it's 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 one of those things where I think it's a, it, we have to look at it as marketers as a different kind of experience, you know. I mean, one of the things, it's something that I talk about quite a bit, um, you know, we had the pleasure of doing a little business with, uh, the folks at John Deere um, and talking about the furrow and helping them think through the furrow and what they were doing with it from a print perspective and both from a digital and print perspective. And I think the, the, the most interesting point that came out for me was when we were talking to the subscribers uh, of, of the furrow. And I mean, I still have this in my notes because I think it's just such an amazing thing. The print magazine, the furrow is so good that people save it. In other words, if you go to people's houses, and people would say this, the subscribers would actually say this, they have a basket in their kitchen, stacked up with the last 12, 15, 18 issues of the furrow, and they go back, and they look at the pictures, and they read the articles, and it becomes like a little bit of a collector's item for them, because the magazine, and the content, and the pictures, and the feel of it is that good. and. You know, think about that for a moment. Creating a marketing piece that people will actually put on their desk, put into a little basket in their kitchen, and save, and that you know, that's that's something that digital will never have.
0: Opportunity, it's yeah. And I, I really believe if you've seen the data on vinyl records, which I know you have, Robert, where we've we've hit the bottom and now we're coming back up slowly. We'll never hit the. Uh, we'll never hit where we were, of course. But has it bottomed? I believe print has bottomed, and we're on our way back up. And you're going to have smart. I want to say first movers, because maybe maybe we should say first movers or second movers back into print, where there's an opportunity to go. And and you don't even have to start these things yourself. You could do a reboot of a a, a pub media publication that's already out there. I saw. It. Last week, I think two media companies went bankrupt, and they sold their publications for almost nothing, and I started crying a little bit because it was sad because some <laughs> right. of these publications were so amazing, and they just, to your point before, where they just didn't move fast enough with the business model changes that needed to be make, made, well, a brand can come in there, buy it for cents on the dollar, and do something amazing for their audience.
1: Just saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's 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 huge. Well, speaking of that... Um, You know, uh, the last story that we'll cover here uh, in this particular segment of the show comes to us courtesy of uh, FIP.com and speaks to exactly what you're just talking about here. It's almost like we design these <laughs> stories to fit together no. in some no. amazing, no. amazing way. Um, but the, the, it comes to a friend, if you don't know, FIP, FIP is an organization that is about freedom of the press and, um, about, uh, you know, it's a network or an association kind of, uh, organization global, that global really, publishers. Yeah. Yeah. Global publishers and those sorts of things. And, uh, this article I just thought was fascinating, um, and uh, it's something that was so good I actually covered it um, in uh, in that other podcast that I do. Um, and uh, the headline is, Taking Advantage of Opportunities in Growth Markets. And the article opens up by saying, The opportunities right now for media companies to start new and profitable initiatives in emerging markets remain to this day greenfield. Um, And it is also less likely, says uh, some of these uh, experts, that large platforms will have such a disruptive impact as witnessed in saturated markets. And the article basically goes through an argument that I just think is fascinating, which basically says, New media companies have this opportunity right now in uh, places like Mexico and India and Africa to that are nascent greenfield open new markets, especially in the digital space, to create content brands that actually move the needle and the flip side of that, which is kind of a duh, right? You know, there's a, there's, you know, sort of a lot of people coming online in Mexico, a lot of people coming online in Africa, a lot of people coming online in India. These are growth populations for digital markets. And of course you say, yes, of course, there's new opportunities there. But the flip side of that is they say, because these people don't have attachments to the standard bearers as they, you know, in more saturated markets like the US and Western Europe and, and those sorts of things, There's less likely to, in other words, you're on equal footing. In other words, you're on equal footing with Facebook. You're on equal footing with big media brands that can actually take your audience away. And it's a fascinating argument to be made. And and I won't spoil the article. You can go read it for yourself. But what it says to me is yay wonderful for that but you know okay how about those of us that aren't in uh you know in global markets and um one of the examples they they use in this article is mexico where right now mexico is kind of skipping over the whole you know sort of mobile revolution that we all had to go through with 2g then 3g then 4g and they're beginning to get you know so right now in mexico i think it's less than half of people actually have mobile internet access, and those that do are a lot of them are on burnt, you know prepaid cards and those sorts of things. So they don't look at video, they don't look at you know rich media online unless they're connected to Wi-Fi because it burns through their plan. But that's changing because as mobile networks start to come in, high capacity mobile networks, and it becomes much cheaper, and they skip over all those infrastructure challenges that we all had to go through here in the states. Well, now that opens up a lot of media opportunities for companies. And that idea is something we can take to new markets as well here in the U.S. for those of us that aren't focused on global audiences. Because one of the things that I see most often these days is just even going to our example of P&G and the homemade simple and thinking about our content brands as a means of developing new or nascent markets that we haven't even thought about yet. And the example that came leaping to mind is what Lincoln Electric did with um, the artist maker sort of sculptor community who was being woefully underserved for welding education, because quite frankly artists, makers, sculptors, didn't want to get into welding because they thought it was complicated and scary, et cetera, et cetera. But they discovered that that was such an underserved market for anything having to do with education and welding. Guess what? They went in and basically built a magazine, built a blog, built education programs, built the content to serve that market. And now they're killing it in that market because they are really the only player serving that market. And so as we start thinking about personas and audiences, one of the things that we often do is we go, oh, where's our, you know, where's the biggest audience? Where's everybody, you know, the most competitive, the red ocean, if you like that, you know, sort of metaphor. And we go try and compete in it with our content. And instead, if we go maybe look at some blue ocean audiences that are completely underserved and open, we might find actually new markets that we can serve with content that we might ultimately be able to serve with our products and services. Anyway, it was just uh, that was sort of my take. No,
0: on. I love the take. I don't know if you've heard of this book. It, this book is called Content Inc., and basic, yeah. yes, they, the premise I've heard behind of it.
1: it. The is, writer I hear is kind of a chucklehead, but the, a the, the, the yeah
0: yeah. But uh, but the premise <laughs> behind the whole thing is instead of launching a product, first choose a an area of niche media as you're talking about, and go and build an audience in that area, and then you can launch your product after that. Once you build a relationship with those people, fascinating concept, uh, and yeah. totally I you know from this article I did not know that outside i think it's i don't know which countries they're talking about outside of the united states it's something like two in ten people have ever subscribed to a That's publication right. of any kind yeah, oh my goodness. exactly this is but yeah you're you're right it's not just international markets it's the idea that not you know people always say oh there's too much content you know there's been too much content since the printing press was uh, was developed the there is so there's more opportunity now to create a niche media brand, focusing on a uh, not a smaller audience, this is a quirky, a different audience, some an audience that's not being served in some way, and I think if, if brands looked at that and, and took your advice, uh, it would be much smarter than saying, oh, let's go, we're gonna go roll out this entire product line, and then we'll go. You know, we'll get all the salespeople involved and we'll go and help to per- penetrate using all the different marketing that we usually do. Well, that's really hard to do and it takes a long time. Right. Well, yeah. let's let's go in with some amazing content experiences first. See how it goes. Get feedback. You'll get amazing feedback on what those people would like to buy and then you can service them even better.
1: So, Yep. Whew. Absolutely. Who knew? I like it. Yep. I like, well, speaking of amazing content experiences, there's a... Yeah, I think. I think there's a sponsor that we have to talk about or something.
0: Actually, Robert, I believe there is a sponsor of this show. And if I had it in front of me, I could tell you who it is. Now, (laughs) I know exactly who it is. I have a question for you. Are you getting ready? For your opening at content, well, I don't even know what are you doing in content marketing world this year.
1: I, I am, I, I am teaching a workshop. Okay. Uh, and uh, I am on for agencies uh, on content marketing strategy, both how to add it to your agency portfolio of services, as Ooh. well as how to perhaps do it for yourself. Um, and then I'm, I'm the hostess with the mostest. Oh, um, nice. I'll be. I'll be opening up uh, doing a short little keynote just to sort of uh, tee things up. Um, introducing you, of course, as one of our major keynotes. Um, and then, you know, hanging around, interviewing Henry Rollins, blah, blah, oh, blah. Oh yeah, blah, blah. same old yeah. stuff. <laughs> this is just uh,
0: you know, a lot of people don't know the content marketing world is the the largest in person content marketing event in the world. Uh is Aptly name. I didn't know if you knew that. It's the ninth year, it'll be in Cleveland, Ohio this year. Uh,
1: September
0: third, the fifth. Are those the dates?
1: Third through the sixth. Third actually, the we sixth. have. Uh, yeah, you. it's 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 a it's it's a festival. It's the Festivus for the rest yeah. of us. Is what See, I, this I don't
0: want to get all this all this information correctly. I want I want it to feel. like... You don't <laughs> want to get all this I want, information. I want, correctly. I, I want I want this to feel like a, you know sort of off the cuff and we're cool. Uh, yeah, but that's not working. You yeah. should join four thousand <laughs> other marketers. <laughs> to learn, <laughs> grow, and network with the best in the business. And as the industry has evolved, CM World has two Now four days. Is it four days? Yeah, yeah. three, third, yeah. fourth, fifth, sixth. Four days yeah. of educational content and real content marketing success stories from brands you know and some that you don't know, that you need to know. If you would like to go, you should use code PNR19. That's P is in Pulitzi. N as in, you said it last week, and, and <laughs> R as in Rose, PNR19, to save $100 off in-person packages. We would love to see you there. I'm super excited about it. I've been working on my keynote, Robert. and uh, And it's going to be, I want it to be my best one ever. I think everyone wants to, you know, you always want, of course. want it to be your of best course. one.
1: Of course. And there may, I, I, I may... I I, I I put this on Facebook and uh, on Twitter. Um, I posted one of the things that came in the mail um, that might play a role. I may or may not be wearing a top hat at some point. So take that. Take that. Scotch, scotch, scotch. Scotch, 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 scotch. No, the
0: one thing I will say before we conclude this sponsor segment is yes. that hotels are getting full. <laughs> <laughs> right now if you are going to go you need to sign up yeah. now and secure or stay at joe's room. house you are not staying at <laughs> casa de palizzi it is not going to happen uh, uh maybe you have room in your penthouse suite for, for people
1: like, i do not oh, you have, yeah. i nor do i have a penthouse have, suite I think but you yes. have
0: the whole top level of the hyatt don't no you? i'm
1: sleeping on a cot in the middle of the convention center is where i go yeah
0: are you maybe you're an exhibit this year I am, and, I am. an exhibit, and everyone shall view the Robert Rose. <laughs> I can see the yeah. bar there. You're sort of you're sort of laying on the cot, one yeah. leg's hanging off, and hashtag a Friday bag.
1: concoction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, It is now time for your favorite part of the show, our last segment, which is, of course, um, our rants and raves section. That's where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel um, like The Bachelor in Paradise um, or makes us feel uh, good inside, like we're... Um, ha, we're on a cot in the middle of the convention center. Let's see. I, you're going first. I'm going first. Uh, you have a you. Yeah, you go first. You've got a. I think a, 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 a rave. I've you got not? a couple. yeah,
0: so I've got a rave and and well, I've got two raves because uh, because I don't want to bring out angry Joe today. I want to bring out <laughs> optimistic. You wouldn't like positive, me when I'm angry. Positive Joe. <laughs> Today. So this one. Do you go from orange to green when you turn angry? <laughs> I'm Mr. Green shirt. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is from, I don't even know what the site is, TNW, but this was sent to me. The next web. I'm sorry. The next <laughs> but web. I'll
1: bet the N is an
0: and, though.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> this show has uh, officially gone off the rails. Uh, I thought this was super interesting, and I just want people to look at this and see what's happening, especially over in China with some of the... Uh, the video, the media that's going out there. The the article is called Chinese Vertical Dramas Made for Phone Viewing Show the Future of Mobile Video. This was sent to me by, by my beautiful wife and she thought it was something we should share and I totally agreed with her. And I'm not going to go through all the details. You can see it in the show notes if you want to, but basically a lot of the new shows that are coming out and there's uh, one of the largest media companies over there is sort of a, the Netflix of China. is called iQiyi. And Ite has long—they're la- launching all sorts of short um, video series, but they're doing so in a vertical format. And most of these are seem to be comedies. They seem to be two to five minutes long. Uh, I don't know how long that's going to last, but the fact is, they're shot for a vertical play, specifically for the phone. And I—I I think it's. It's interesting that I wonder if we never had video before, we never had a television device, and and the phone came out, we would probably just be creating all our video in vertical format. But we don't because we've never done this in the past. So it's something that if you get a chance to look at it, I think it's an opportunity, maybe something that you would want to test out if you're thinking about getting into the episodic video realm, there's an opportunity there. So that's the first one. Yeah. The second one... Is uh, I listen to every once in a while. I listen to the James Altucher uh, podcast. He has some interesting guests on, and in his episode with uh, let me see if the I think his name is David Ball. Let me make sure I get this right. Uh, I don't know because I can't. David Bach. I'm sorry. David Bach. And David Bach is a um, he's written a b- bunch of books on on money, including the Latte Factor and a couple other ones. But you don't have to go through the whole one hour and 19 minutes of the podcast if you want to. But this is sort of a throwaway comment that, I, that is really important for marketers today. They talk about how there's a Stanford class that teaches MBA students, prospective MBA students at Stanford, and their only goal is to teach those students how to buy businesses. And so the goal is to, That's cool. yeah, how do you buy a business, then fix it up, maybe you're going to keep that business or maybe you're going to spin it off or whatever the case is, have another exit. But the, they were talking about how the success factor, the success rate in buying a business is so much incredibly higher than a startup business. And for those of you that don't know, uh, studies from Harvard uh, Business say that about, the success rate for an entrepreneur and starting a business is about 18%. So not very good, right? So I want you to think about this, Robert, in looking at a content launch. If we look at a, I think we can look at a a, at a brand that launches a content brand the same way, and if you start it up, I think the odds of that succeeding are very, very challenging. Just like starting up, it's just like starting a new business. There's not much different. It's the same thing. But what if? We had this mentality that they do at stanford and instead of saying i'm going to start this whole thing fresh and we're going to have to work out all the bugs and learn all this stuff what if we went out and actually purchased a brand and we've talked about this on the show again was sort of there's a theme building i think that there's an opportunity there that marketers should look at and we're always amped up to say oh i want to start something i want to create something But there's always the challenge there that that, it could fail and the odds are probably against you if you're starting something brand new. What if you go out and you bought something readily available in most markets, by the way, an existing content brand? You go in there, fix it up just like we were talking about with the newsletters. And I just think think that's a better way to look at it than just doing something fresh from the startup stamp. I don't know if you have a take on that, but I really believe there's a huge opportunity there in uh, taking a lot of risk off the table.
1: I, you know, I'm seeing it more and more. I'll tell you that. I mean, I, I, first of all, yay. I actually now want to go take that class. Yes. I um, a lie, actually. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, and the, the second thing is, is that I, we're starting to see this more and more. And even in our consulting work where uh, when we're building these business cases for the content operation in a, in a large brand, The marketing people are really increasingly open to this idea of acquisition or... Even doing what the kids call the aqua hire, right, which is where you acquire the business. But really what you're getting is a team of people who are just really good at yeah. it. Um, and so, I mean, that would be, you know, we joked around about AdAge, right? I mean, that's what you could do is you could go in and acquire AdAge and and take all those extraordinarily talented people at AdAge and launch something else. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, the new version of AdAge. Um but that's I, I I love this idea I think it's I think it's high time that we're starting to see that and and there's you know I, I think your point about the risk factors being similar or excuse me lower in acquisition than startups is a is an incredibly powerful one and it's one that we should pay attention to I might be discussing that at content marketing world a little bit so yeah. we won't give it all
0: away but uh, I, I, like I do, it. do you have a you don't have a rant this week. I think I, said,
1: it's way well, it's more of a commentary, commentary. Of, of 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 sorts, um, you know, so I, I'm going to link a couple of things in the show notes here. But the the one that I'll sort of use as the anchor, if you will, is this article. You know, there's a lot of people covering this topic, um, at least it seems to me. I mean, I may have some confirmation bias here in terms of the amount of times I'm seeing this particular article, but it's about the idea, the ad age article no pun intended or no irony intended here that that I'll link to is the headline is why more brands are ditching the CMO position. Um, and it's an article that claims it's going to go into a deep dive about why brands are ridding themselves and then proceeds to not go into any kind of deep dive <laughs> at all. Um, but basically just lists out all the companies that have basically ditched the CMO. And, you know, the... The main point of the article and many of the articles that I'm seeing that are like this seems to be that we're conflating the idea of the the office of marketing in a business with the CMO, the person. Um, and so in other words, the article goes on to talk about how all these brands are not devaluing marketing because what they're doing is they're creating, you know, chief growth officers, chief, you know, brand officers um, and, and all of these, you know, sort of chief commercial officers. They're, they're creating high powered leadership parts of marketing but I guess what they're making the determination of is, is that marketing is too big for any one person. Um, and so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to hedge our bets and basically segment them across different things where theoretically each one of them could be responsible for a P and L um, you know, one of the examples they use is that, you know, somebody has been given the, cha- the the new title of chief brand officer and that chief brand officer is now responsible for the P of various products uh, to me. I got to be honest. That sounds like shifting the deck chairs on the ship and calling them lawn chairs. I, I you know, it, it, I don't really understand that. Uh, all I understand is is the fact that they're basically saying marketing is too big for any one person. So Coca Cola loses its CMO, McDonald's loses its CNO, CMO, J and J loses its CMO, and they basically decide not to replace the position, but rather segment it across these people. Um, to me, I have to tell you, it's a mistake. I, I, think you know. And and by the way, they go on to say that there's this, you know, there's a lot of um, effort around, uh, you know, the 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 fact that, you know, these things are getting too big, and and that they that they want to bring in more marketing that that's covering more thing. But to me, it. It's like saying the job of CEO is too big or the job of CFO is too big or the job of COO is too big. And so let's segment those into you know, smaller, more granular pieces. At the end, I think it's really about we're not looking the, – the marketing office, the marketing operation isn't evolving. And what we're doing is blaming – rightly or wrongly in, in, in individual cases, but we're blaming the person. In other words, and, and, and I'm going to link to another article, which is written, actually, it's a blog post by my friend uh, Ian Truscott, who is a marketing consultant extraordinaire out of the U.K., and he actually talks about this idea. And I think he has it right, which is he basically says, look, there's often a distraction in business because the CMO is reporting in through the rest of the C-suite. You know, so even though the CMO has a C-level title, in many cases, they don't have C-level power. And so they're being asked to bifurcate and, and fragment and do all of these things, and when it doesn't happen, they ultimately go, eh, it's, let's, marketing isn't working, let's, let's fragment it out to these different positions. And instead, if we take a bit of a fresher look at things and say, how do we evolve the operation of marketing, full stop, led by one person or by multiple people or by a new management team, if you will, um, Let's figure out the right strategy instead of just saying, hey, we're going to ditch the whole CMO thing because that concept is outdated. That is the part that I disagree with. I don't agree with the fact that the CMO concept is outdated. What I, what I think that most of these articles are trying to say is, is that the operation of marketing and the ad age discussion we had earlier, notwithstanding, is a, is a great example of that. The operation of marketing has changed so fundamentally we need to rethink what marketing is. Maybe we should like kill it and reborn it as something else, independent of how we staff it. And so that's that's my that's my So how point. many
0: maybe if we had three marketing leaders, because you'd need at least three because if there was a disagreement, you'd need odd number. Right? So you, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Or should we right. be, or should we well, five? Yeah. Or yeah, right. I mean, how many knights are well, there in the nights you know, of the round table?
1: Maybe we need that man. Well, I was just about to yeah, I was just about to say we need a king of the north. We, we need a Lannister, and we're going to need you know, a, a, you know, a Cersei to sort of you know round out our little Game of Thrones and marketing. You know, the last thing marketing needs right now, by the way, is to be adding more silos here. And so, uh, uh, you know, it, this idea. Fixing the operation of marketing is such a much more important thing to do for businesses these days rather than figure out if we have the right king at, or queen at the, at the helm. And that's, I just, it, it feels like so many ways what we're doing, what big businesses are doing these days is sort of, again, not to belabor the metaphor, but shifting around all of our deck chairs on the ship and going, yeah, that one we're now going to call a chaise lounge and that one we're going to call a lawn chair, but we're not calling them deck chairs anymore, so we've fixed marketing. It's like, no, you haven't. You haven't. Yeah, really I fixed see your it. point,
0: but I think a lawn chair is much more comfortable than a deck chair.
1: It is. So it is typically. I can see And hammocks more so. Yeah, exactly.
0: The funniest thing, when you were talking, I was, and you made reference to it, but the whole idea, oh, yeah, the 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 ceo possess, that's that's just too much we would that's exactly what you're saying but but for marketing it's like oh no 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 we we we, all, we need we need to to get rid of the ceo for microsoft because microsoft's just too big it's just too complex right so we've got to change it yeah that's right it's, it's silly by the way, Microsoft, yeah. the most valuable, the most, most valuable it. company in yeah, the oh world,
1: as of uh, our conversation. It. That CEO is amazing. The the things that he's doing there are just. I think that Zoom is really yeah. going to take off. I think that it's. Yeah. I think that's the next. <laughs> there it is. So. <laughs> the, 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 yeah the the Zoom episode. All right. Um, where are you uh, in the next? I mean, other than getting your yeah, keynote but, ready, uh, what are you doing?
0: I don't have much until. I mean, we, I have some fun things I'm doing. I don't have a lot of work things going. I have a, a couple small speeches before I get to content marketing world. As, as you know, we were talking before the show, we just finished our 13th annual uh, Orange Effect Foundation Golf for Autism. Another great success. Thank you to all the people that supported. Uh, it's just, you know, basically do get ready for that for a year and then we get it done and then we'll, we'll restart again. But that was just an amazing event. So we just finished that sort of. Uh, we're gonna take it easy for the next couple of weeks and, and try to figure out my PowerPoint template for content marketing world and um and hopefully not uh not have people fall asleep while I while I speak that early in the morning. So that's brilliant. It. How about you? You're busy. You're brilliant.
1: super busy. I am busy. Yeah, I am busy. We are in the middle of some client deliverables, um, but I'm also in the midst of getting my workshop ready, my keynote ready. Um I've got uh you know I, I've got a war to start, Gilder to pray for it. I'm just <laughs> um,
0: mostly dead. So,
1: you yeah, mostly dead. Um, but yeah, that is that's what I'll be doing. I'm 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 very very busy, um, but all good. I can't wait for Cleveland. It's going to be fun. Well, it's going to be a hear, fun week. Hear that very often. That's can't wait for Cleveland.
0: Yeah. I like it. See, I'm waiting for this from for a Cleveland. Yeah, this from a Texas dude. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: There it is. There it is. Um, well, that's it, folks. We're going to sign off. And if you like this episode, episode number 214, that's right. Subscribe, resubscribe. We have a goal. We want to be the number one marketing podcast in iTunes. We're almost there. Well, not not almost. We're like 14 or 18 or something given the day. But we want to be number one. We want to beat all those other ones that you see in front. We want to be number one. Help us get there. Get yourself a shiny new subscription. Get your friend a shiny new subscription. Get your mom a shiny new subscription. Go review us, um, even if you just want to call us chuckleheads. Get it out there. We need you. And, of course, thank you. Thank you for all of your wonderful encouragement, the tweets. Hashtag us up, won't you? Uh, This old marketing, hashtag us up. We are looking for story ideas and all those kind of wonderful things. Um, And, of course, we are publishing twice a month now. Or every other week, and all of that. And you're uh, where? Where can people find more for you, Mr. Palitzzi? Oh, I'm at Joe Palitzzi, P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I on Twitter,
0: and then uh, my newsletter is slash uh, newsletter It's the
1: Random Newsletter, which I talk about. Whatever I want to talk about, which is the best kind of. You need a science. domain for that, by the way. You need to, you know, here's a marketing tip for you get a domain so that you don't have to do well, the slash thing. Okay. Do you, okay. Like,
0: We're already going over time, but it's going to be joepolizzi.com. Yeah. That's how you would get it, except for the fact yeah. that right now my site is not working very well. So in two weeks, okay. Maybe not by next episode, I'll just say joepolizzi.com. Can I do that? Is that okay? okay do I have to. Do can, something? You can't. You have to do like. Nope. You, I, give you, I give you permission. Slash, Scotchy or sc- sc- Scotchy <laughs> McNich Media dot
1: Scotchy McScotcherson, yes. Yeah, <laughs> dot com. How where <laughs> that can is people right. where yeah, that can is people right. find
0: you? Mr. Rose
1: they can find me very simply it's contentadvisory.net. um or if you really like our fancy new url that we'll be rolling out is tca.inc tca.inc really um and you can find us I, oh, there no 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 and, you can't do
0: that um, I like the .net
1: it's so 1997 thank you it's the dad genes yes. of domains yes it's a yeah that's we really like it all right Let's get this out of here before we have the Europeans yelling at us that we went over an hour um, on our show. And of course, remember hashtag us up, let us uh, send us a note, all of those kinds of things. See you in a couple of weeks. Remember, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you in two weeks on this old market.